This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. The soundbite, I would say, from your research is like, wait a second, not everybody always wants a big assortment. There are really times when I want to make it easy. I just, I assume I'm like everybody else, give me what they want. That's kind of your sound, but that's, I think, what you're saying. And you're using this hedonic utilitarian, but the process underlying is your perceived uniqueness of taste. That's what you said. Is that correct? Am I? Right. Yes. So I think you got that exactly nailed it on the head. Okay, Um, good. (laughs) Yeah. So So what's driving it is this uniqueness of taste and Hedonic and utilitarian motivations are only one way of which uniqueness of taste would change, right? Right. There might be many other ways in which it would change. So what I'm going to ask you next is, so that's a good study and it's published, but, you know, you got a long career. (laughs) What's in your pipeline? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Trying to figure all of that out. I'm trying to, um, I've got a lot of uh, feedback on this paper and I have some other stuff that kind of deal with Uh, uniqueness of preferences and how that kind of influences our decisions in ways that we didn't necessarily think about. Um, So one is looking at uh, how, depending on what we face in front of us and the signals that we kind of read uh, from what other people have chosen in front of us tend to influence our behavior. So we know some of this like demand-based scarcity type of signals, but it also... um, depends on what we think about who those people are that chose those items and Mm. how similar or different we feel we are to those people. Uh, And strangely enough, in this uh, work that I'm uh, still in the beginning stages of, we find that, you know, people kind of just assume in some way that other people have, right, similar beliefs or preferences to them in some way, right? We know this whole notion of consensus bias. Right, right. So people Um, always assume, if I'm thinking this, you must be too. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. And so they tend to believe that, like, okay, if I walk into a shelf and I see some empty space there, I know someone took it, well, they think it's good, it must be good. But (laughs) in reality, you have no idea who this person is, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. horrible in taste. And so... If you just give some subtle reminders of like, hey, actually think about who that person is, then they're like, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't do that. But it's so prevalent that people always follow these others without Hmm. thinking about it at all because they make these assumptions about how, you know, their preferences. You know, that example, like what you just said, that's an interesting example. I think of this all the time when I go into a restaurant and somebody I'm with in the restaurant says to the server, what should I have? What do you like here? Or something like that. It drives (laughs) me crazy because Uh what makes me think that person has the same taste as I have, Uh you know? Uh How about the question of uh, of asking them, like, what's your super popular seller here? Like, what's the, what are you really known for? I I, I think I'm nothing like other people, Uh so none of this works for me. But Sarah, how do you answer (laughs) So, I mean, I think at that point, you know, then you get into questions of like need for uniqueness and how much do you feel like you really are. That's going to be a moderator. Mm -hmm. Right. If everyone feels like they're informative of you or not. Um, But it's kind of widespread that generally people just seem to be blindly following others. Yeah, but you know, like, so you're using the example of stockouts. If we look at online shopping, of course, they don't have as many stockouts because right. the online situation is better. But at Amazon, they do have like Best Buy or Popular mm-hmm. Choice or something like that. So if peop- if your theory is right, people are going to assume whatever Amazon highlights other people like, you're going to assume that is going to be. In fact, that's the whole idea behind Amazon it's the selling. the whole idea behind yeah. their like mm. Amazon's choice kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I read an article on that about um, how much do you know if it's actually backed up by data or if they're just, you know, 
get yeah, I think they are. I, I think it is backed up by data. I think Hopefully. you know they're like full of data, Amazon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. But um, they do these four stars and above, and they really do a lot based on reviews. Now there is a lot of playing around with those reviews, a little tricky. Mm-hmm. But what would you be? What can? What does your research tell Amazon about all of mm. that? What can you do to help them? Or, or consumers buying on Amazon? <laughs> One, I think that we know that if it just says, right, Amazon's choice or most popular choice, people will flock to it. It's at this point where are you choosing to help the marketer over the consumer, right? right. At one point, we kind of feel like, well, maybe we should say, hey, these are the recent you know, kinds of people who just purchased this. Yeah. That might give oh, consumers a better sense of like, hey, all right, do I feel like I'd probably have similar preferences as them? We do a, a similar study like that about um, movie theaters and right whether the movie was sold out before you or not. And um, one of the reviews, uh, we put them as, you know, whoever left this review was like an elderly grandpa. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. And so that goes away once you do and that. it goes then... away when you see that. Right. Yeah. Right. You so your all. research has a lot of implications. I mean, a lot of marketing now is being generated through consumer reviews and how people are. So you could actually help people use reviews better if you get them to think more about. Hmm. Try to imagine who actually wrote this review before you blindly <laughs> follow. Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah, because people just don't. And they see that number, but they don't know what it means. Um, and they're missing a lot of data that would probably end up in the marketer being even happier because there's a better, you know, customer product fit regardless if they are better informed when they make their decision. Yeah, that's really interesting. You could be like a new consumer reports for how to actually read uh, uh, product How to reviews. make it more valuable yeah. for you, yeah. Because I right. talked to a lot, a lot of, for, there's no question a lot of millennials and Gen Zers are using reviews to evaluate decisions. That's mm-hmm. just true. And for mm-hmm. sure, Amazon and their four stars and their consumer uh-huh. choice, they completely believe uh-huh. that people are going to go after what everybody else buys. So their premise, I think, is uh-huh. right. Uh-huh. And then what you're arguing is, well, maybe that's not always right. So when I ask people, I say to them, "Why do you follow those reviews? You know nothing about this person. The person might be an idiot. Why are you?" That's, that's how I talk to them. But what they say to me when I say it is, "Well, you know, I am more sophisticated than that. I look at how many reviews there are, mm-hmm. and I look at the range of reviews. And if I think there are a lot of reviews, then I trust the review more." Mm-hmm. Um, can you? What What do you think about that argument? I mean. We definitely know that, you know, based on social proof, the more numbers is the more convincing, um, which in this, uh, so in this particular project, kind of the cool thing that we've done here is you might think that, um, you know, when you're, say you're walking down an aisle or even online and you can observe information about what people have chosen before, in, before you in two ways. One, you can look for like evidence of what the person in front of you had last taken, right? So an empty space or... You can literally just look at what the retailer has chosen to sell, right? We know that people allocate larger uh, space to more higher-selling, higher-demanded products. Right. And so if you think of what the retailer is offering you, this is like uh, evidence of aggregate demand data. This is what people are buying because that's what right. they're supplying. Right, and that's the same idea behind these massive reviews or Amazon. So you're just giving us another example of that. So is that a bad way for customers to make decisions? Well, so actually, so the point I wanted to make is that we pit both of these two different signs um, against each other, and what we find is that people find that whatever the last person took in front of you 
to be much more convincing than whatever oh, you know so aggregate funny. retailer. Right. So at this point, like, okay, that's wrong. <laughs> right, right. That's wrong. That's super wrong. Uh, right, right. But I mean, yeah. in, in, you know, in fairness to you know John to Doe and Jane. People. No, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, it's 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 interesting. It's sort of like you know, in in fairness to those folks, it's like. You know, they're, they're, they're not studying these things. <laughs> they're not publishing papers in JCR and, you know, figuring out mediators and moderators. They're living lives. And so <laughs> in some sense, it's just that, you know, there's just something maybe just more salient about, well, the last person yeah. did this. So it just, you know, in, in the, you know, they're not thinking about the economic implications of a retailer who's making, you know, allocation of product portfolio decision making on a shelf. They're thinking about the last person took this. It just maybe it just feels more, yeah, so more it's a real. bias. You're it's identified a, bias. a right. really interesting you're bias. Right. You're right, Bar. It's wrong, maybe. <laughs> yeah. In terms it's of your own satisfaction, wrong. right? It's definitely wrong. No, but you're We're, happy. But you're, you're happy. happy. <laughs> right. You're yeah. wrong and happy. Yeah. Life is about being wrong no, and happy. No, that is interesting. A, <laughs> to pit those two things and identify yeah. that as a bias, when yep. it's so clear when you pit them, pit yeah. them against it, it's wrong. That's right. <laughs> Right. But that's right. really interesting. That, yeah, yeah and I'm, Americus is right. I don't got time to think about all this stuff. I'm just buying what the last guy bought. That's right. That's yeah, right. and they they actually do put think, thought into that. They're like, okay, I acknowledge that there's a lot here, but this guy chose that. I'm going to follow him. Like, he that's must have known something was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is. I mean, given how decision making is being made in this new co- customer focused approach and all these reviews and how important customer. And we were just talking to one of our earlier guests about the whole co creation idea mm-hmm. and building brand community. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's like the way marketing is going. These implications that you are talking about are are important. If people maybe people are happy making the decisions any way they're making it, so you can just identify that they're doing that. But maybe you can also help them. Make Make better mm-hmm. decisions by right. making them aware of this bias. That's right, because they may not have access to this alternative universe of happiness that they could be having. Right, if they right. were using the right, right. The <laughs> the right. Right. That's right. Right. right, exactly. That's the hope of like, all right, well, it should be in marketers' best interest to have consumers make better decisions, right? Yeah. So that way, they keep coming back. They become loyal. Yeah, that's that's really interesting stuff. Well, that sounds like great research. I'm really glad you're doing it. Uh, <laughs> good luck with your long, long career. I I think uh, awesome. you're just starting out now. So this is your first year as an assistant professor? It is. First year. Wow. And you're in Oklahoma State? Have, have you, yes. is that, um, have you lived in Oklahoma before? Uh, nope. Nope. I'm originally from North Carolina. Ah, so and then you lived in Boston. Now, I'm imagining Oklahoma's a little different. How are you liking it there? It is different. It's very nice. It's very kind of, uh, well, it's totally the opposite of the Northeast, if one could ever guess. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But very relaxed atmosphere, uh, which is kind of a good thing compared to also much cheaper. Yeah, I'll bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something Boston to be said for, for so that. Years. Yeah, I when I I was the dean of Miami Business School, and I went to Oklahoma for one of our first football games, and it seems like in Oklahoma there. Are Big football fans. Oh, it's intense. Nice. I have never, <laughs> ever witnessed something such well, as Well, North this. Carolina, they're pretty big basketball fans, aren't they? True. I would say North Carolina basketball trumps about everything that I've ever uh, seen. It's very intense. They <laughs> preach kind of Duke hate while you're there. <laughs> in so group out group. Totally. Yeah, exactly. totally. Totally. Well, it's fun to live all around the country, and we really appreciate you coming on our show tonight. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun to learn about her research. And if you want to learn more about Sarah, you'll find her at spears.okstate.edu. 
For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.